Welcome to Indoor Voices. I'm Kathleen Collins, librarian at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. In this episode, we're talking about the Creative Writing MFA at City College. It's a unique program in the world of creative writing education, and while that has much to do with its location and student body and successful alumni, it's also special because of the vision and hard work of its director, Michelle Valadaris. I got the chance to sit down with Michelle and talk with her about the program and how she'd like to see it grow even beyond its unprecedented enrollment spike in spring 2021. To learn more about Michelle, her own writing, and the MFA program, visit IndoorVoicesPodcast.com. And please subscribe on your podcast app so you can keep up with future episodes. Enjoy my conversation with Michelle Valadaris. Actually came to my attention from that Inside Higher Ed article, mm-hmm. which was really great, and we'll put a link to that on the blog page. But I wonder if you could just tell us, just give us sort of a thumbnail of the program in terms of who comes to this program. Who are your students? Is there a demographic profile, or is it is it really as diverse as it seems to be? How, how would you describe it? Okay, great. First, thank you so much for inviting me to speak on this podcast. So that higher, that article that came out in, in Inside Higher Ed um, came at a really unique moment for us. We have right now the biggest group of students cohort that we've ever had. There are 154 students. I think that's what was very dramatic to the reporter, and she asked the question, why? which I couldn't fully explain because I don't know, but I had a lot of guesses. Um, and one of them has to do with your question, which is what is who are our students and, and you know where are they coming from? So we have a very diverse population of students. Our, our program, I think, is attractive for a number of reasons. One is that we... Um, we're not a, we're, it's not limited we're not we don't have a set number that we take and on average for many years we would accept a whole bunch of students and maybe half that half of those that number would come or a third of that number would come what's changed in the last couple of semesters is that more and more students are wanting to come and um, and I think it's the nature of the program so one is definitely diversity of students so our students are not just diverse in terms of culture and race and gender, but also socioeconomic backgrounds, also stage in life. So for example, we have a lot of retired students. We have journalists who have retired but wanted to come and pursue an MFA. We've had um, dancers. We've had, um, I'm trying to think of the most eclectic professions, although those might be traditional. We've had a medical doctor who was retired and was in the program studying poetry. We've had a lot of people who are training to go into other professions, but that, that training through the city of New York will pay for them to come and get an MFA, and they've always wanted to. So that's a very exciting component inside of the traditional workshop. Of course, we, we definitely have students who have been undergrad at City, And then we just have students from New York and mm-hmm. from 
in particular, you know, we're up in Harlem, so in Harlem and from Harlem in the Bronx, so we have a lot of representation just locally. So, yeah, so I, I would say a diversity on, on a lots of different levels. That's great. It must make for very rich classroom experiences and, and obviously writing outcomes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think the diverse classroom is, is a big subject within MFA programs. And I think there are lots of different ways you approach that. We're lucky in many ways, a couple of those factors were already taken care of. We were in New York City. We're located in Harlem. Uh, and I've made a real push in the last couple of years to acknowledge our location in Harlem and start to link our program with Harlem, the community, and Harlem as the site of this incredible literary renaissance. I Recently, we the program got funding from the Luce Foundation to do a whole Harlem Archives project. It's called Harlem as Muse, a storytelling project, and I'll send you the link as Great. well And uh, for that. And, and that was really wonderful. We went into uh, archives, both at the Cohen Library, which is our library, but also at the Schomburg Center. We went to D.C. and we worked with, um, well, the, we, here we worked with the Langston Hughes Archives, which is also part of our college, and in D.C. with the Hurston Wright Archives. Uh, so we had different faculty. Nellie Rosario, novelist and archivist, came and taught a class. And then our own librarian, William Gibbons. Um, we are going to have a symposium celebrating Herb Boyd, the prolific uh, journalist and writer who wrote for many years for the Amsterdam News. So we went into the community, we went to the Schomburg Center, we talked to curators there. These courses involve local archives and take our graduate students. And a question often comes up when I talk about the archives project is why is it in an MFA program? Because mm -hmm. that's sort of more, that's a of a, question. Yeah, more of a social science thing. I think there's a, a huge group of writers that are digging deep into the archives and using that material, not just for nonfiction, but, but actually for their poetry or for their fiction. And I thought it was a perfect place to house this specific kind of project. And our students are interested. You know, one of my big desires is to connect to libraries and archives and and start putting our graduate students in touch. I mean, I was I'm so old that I went uh, I went to graduate school at a time where we went to the library and we sat there between the classes. I had to commute to, to a school. So, you know, I went early and I sat in the library. And, and I think that's part of that experience. But now we're you know, a lot of us are just well, definitely in the last year and a half, we're at home in our computers and it's not the same to Google information as no. it is to be surrounded by books and to learn actually what it means to research and what it means to how to use that information creatively and honor the subject. Oh, but at the I, same time, express yourself. I love that idea. I'm really happy to hear that. It, it's news to me. I And of course, as a librarian, I'm in great favor of you know, making people aware of the joys of research. But I do think the creativity aspect is really a great opportunity because you never know where your ideas will come from or how you can flesh them out. But just being exposed to all of these different materials and peoples and stories and lives is really a rich opportunity. It's, it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, and one of the things, because we're a creative arts program, one of the ways I launched the website, so we had to launch the Loose website. I mean, 
the Loose Foundation-sponsored website, our Harlem Archives website, um, during the pandemic. So we had to do it virtually. And one of the reasons I chose to launch it with an exhibition of a photographer actually from Oakland named Lewis Watts, and you'll see it on our, our website page, is that the visual, so he did these beautiful, he did this beautiful, these beautiful photographs in an archives in Connecticut of images of first edition books by black writers. Mm. And they're quite startling. They're like portraits almost, and also ephemera. And I thought, you know, visual is so deep and profound for writers. You know, it can say so much in a way than even the text can. So I thought that would that would be a really wonderful way to launch both the power of the book, but also to recognize that we are creative and the ways in which we're going to approach the archives and text is to, to see it in a way that ordinarily, if you were in a different kind of social science or humanities program, you wouldn't. So that was very exciting. I think it went really well. And um, we have that uh, launch talk up. I interviewed Lou on Zoom and uh, and we're doing a bunch of other projects. We're gonna we're going to have how-to videos, like how to look at a photograph, and we're going to have someone, for example, from the Schomburg, you know, when a curator look at the photograph and tell us what they see, so students can kind of realize how to recognize information, where the stories are, what's being photographed, who's the photographer, that kind of thing. Oh, this is great. So yeah, so because uh, a lot there's a lot that people don't know, but then you get a little nervous. You think I'm in grad school, I should know that, but actually I don't know that. So I I'm interested in the program doing things that are reaching the Harlem community, but also you know once. Hopefully we get back in person together, spending time here. We just opened a student lounge, and um, we're thinking of even trying to raise some funding to have a kind of in-house publishing outfit, you know, computers, and just access to some publishing programs for students, because now that's what social media and blogs and literary journals online are 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 so prolific, you know, there's so many of them and they're so important to a literary journey of a young writer. Right, so, so do you mean producing some sort of publication that comes out of this program that features the work of your students? Uh, I'm, I haven't even thought that far. It's almost just giving students access to tools. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a Promethean journal that comes out of the school, and so that's part of our department. Mm-hmm. And we have fiction uh, magazine started by one of our uh, full-time faculty, Mark Mursky, years ago, and that comes out of our department. So, no, it's not really for another journal, but it's more like an access to tools mm-hmm. um, and elementary tools, but we're thinking of soundproofing the room, and so if someone wanted to think, you know, to do some a little interview series um, on campus, something like that. Right, so sh- the, the ways that, when you mention social media, like just ways that people can share their work in this digital world. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great idea. Exactly. I mean, I'm not so uh, up on all of these things, but my uh, a grad, uh, grad uh, assistant to the program, who's also a graduate of our program, is helping me mm-hmm. <laughs> conceive and, and create some kinds of programs and initiatives that I think would be very appealing. And that's also really helpful to students to make them feel more confident in using these w- 
these tools to share their work because we make an assumption that everybody younger than us knows how to do everything or has access to the stuff and that's so far from true so to give them that the tools and the confidence absolutely you know one thing about city college is and i teach creative writing both to undergraduates and and to the graduate students and definitely it's less of a problem with graduate students, but many of our undergraduate students don't have good Wi-Fi or broadband connections, and they don't have access to tools. And I've definitely tried to, and the, and the college is, is very good about arranging loaner equipment, um, or they'll have equipment without cameras that work, you know, something like that. Or they're in a space that has the rest of their family. They don't have a private space to participate in the class. So there, there are real economic obstacles to the, some of our students who come, who are on campus and come to the program. And I think it's a very kind gesture to just offer the tools. Yeah. And, you know, they teach each other. I don't even think we'd have courses and instruction because it, I, I'd like to put it into the student lounge for the MFA students and have them hang out and sure. then someone's doing something and then you say, you know, how do you do that? And then you bring, you know, you bring them on. Right. One of the n really nice things that's happened out of the program is we have some just wonderful writers uh, who've come out of our program who've started their own literary journals. Mm -hmm. And they've worked with students, both undergrad and graduate, other graduate students, to kind of set up their journals. And, and, and that has been really thrilling because now that becomes your literary community. So you take it on and then you leave the program and you're still connected. And, and in fact, here you have your own literary venture and you're using the students, both undergrad and grad, from, from the program. Because not often, but some students are interested in teaching. So they, they go on to also teach, maybe in their last uh, semester of, the, of our, our MFA program. And so they're teaching sometimes creative writing students. So it extends whatever happens in the graduate program extends often and hopefully more so in the future to help our undergraduate creative writing Paying students. Paying forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they also, then the undergrads get to see, oh, this is what you do when you're a writer. And so I love that. And it's why I, I think it's very important that I always teach the undergrad, you know, one undergrad uh, poetry class as well as in the grad program. I think it's a good connection. And, and I definitely know that our department cares about making both the programs thrive. And in terms of the diversity that we were talking about a moment ago, how does that extend to the types of writing that your students are interested in and then maybe what some of them might become interested in? So great question. And that was actually on my list of things, of reasons um, that I tried to come up with for the writer, for the reporter of the high, Inside Higher Ed. So one was diversity. Another is that we are not what I like to call genre snobs. So we definitely are open to students pursuing what they want to want to pursue. We're not, um, it doesn't have to be the literary novel only. We have students who are interested in writing mystery and detective fiction or noir or uh, YA or children's lit. So as a consequence, we definitely offer those courses. Maybe not every semester, but we when the opportunities come, we have a few full-time faculty that do teach them every other semester, for example. We're trying to recognize what's out there and what students are interested in. We have a graduate of the program who went on to be a, uh, he came in as a fiction writer, uh, not, he 
a novelist and went on to basically write YA, uh, a book that was considered YA or marketed and that got on the bestseller list. And the other requirement we have is that when you come into the program, we encourage you to take one of the five required workshops outside your genre of choice. Mm -hmm. And that's often great. Yeah. You know, students take poetry and they've never, you know, done that. I think that kind of encouragement and that kind of uh, ability to do that. And a lot of people switch genres once they come into the program. You know, they study with someone, they love what that person is teaching them, they're, mm. you know, they pick a mentor. So we're very open about that. You know, there's a whole new genre now of hybrid literature. So we're even open to that, though. Definitely, I think it requires some thinking. It's not just, you know, um, I'm going to put some photographs in a text and call it hybrid. And here's, you know, it. so we, we, we have discussions about what, what these new genres that are coming up uh, mean and whether or not you really feel that's the best way you're expressing yourself. Can you say a little bit more, maybe an example of what you mean by hybrid literature? So the most famous hybrid work, I think the one that everyone knows is is Citizen, an American Lyric by Claudia Rankin, mm -hmm. which is a really powerful text um, of poetry and image. But they're all different kinds of, of hybrid text. Poets use a lot of hybrid gestures in their texts. And so one one thing I would say is that when you come into the program, it's the opportunity within the English department to study very contemporary literature, mm -hmm. like what's happening right now at the moment. So hybrid would include all of these new ways in which writers are thinking about the text, incorporating other ways of seeing and not just, it, it doesn't necessarily mean just visual, but it could also mean essays, for example, that have poetry or prose poems okay. as part of the way in which they're presented. Well, that makes me think of something else I was going to ask if you notice any trends that are affecting what you see in your incoming students, what they're interested in. I mean, you see this sort of in other disciplines sometimes. Mm -hmm. Is it true also in creative writing? <clears throat> so it all goes back to that first question. So definitely... I think that one of the reasons we had a spike in acceptances to the program, we had a spike in the number of applicants, but then once we took our usual number, many, many more <laughs> decided to come and enroll during okay. the pandemics, which is why we have such a, a high number of students in the program. And I think one of the reasons is this growing interest in memoir, mm. creative nonfiction. Okay. And I think just kind of very, you know, uh, my very superficial non-scientific guess is that it has to do with the amount of deaths that people experienced, witnessed, saw in their own families, um, saw in the news during COVID mm -hmm. and the pandemic worldwide. And I think what that made them do th is think about death mm -hmm. and perhaps their own mortality and feel like I don't have time to waste. I need to write my own story mm -hmm. or I need to write this story. So definitely that is um, a genre that has exploded for us. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, um, we have wonderful um, writers in the program who are both nonfiction and fiction or who wrote fiction but also now write nonfiction. So, right. um, that's, that's really interesting. So you're seeing this in what students are writing, that they're writing about their experience 
from the last year and a half, or or it's just sparking them to write about to want to write in their general. stories. Yeah, I mean, I think both. I think they do. You know, they they're doing both, and also we have contemporary writers writing about what's happening in the world. So we have a, a few, not a lot, but a few uh, full-time faculty, but they include Emily Rabiteau, mm-hmm. who now um, is writing. She's written a, a novel and nonfiction, but now is really committed to her next book is going to be on climate writing. And that is such a critical issue. So she teaches a class on that subject. And we're doing things across the disciplines on that subject. Um, we have uh, Salar Abdo, who has just written a beautiful novel that's getting a lot of play out of Mesopotamia. Ironically, at the same moment, we have two other guest faculty writers, also from Iran, also with wonderful novels published in the last year or two. So in fact, our writers series this year will feature Iran. The chair of our department uh, is also a nonfiction writer who, Mihal Dekel, and she wrote uh, a book that's done incredibly well called Tehran Children. Mm-hmm. So we're very fortunate because when this, you know, nonfiction moment happened, we, we had the writers um, to accommodate and to teach those classes. Mm-hmm. But we also have, you know, I mentioned Mark Mursky is part of our program, Lindy Orio is part of it, uh, our program. Also, uh, the poet David Groff has been teaching in our program. And then we have writers and thinkers and activists in the literary community that also teach in our program. So, for example, we have Yadon Israel, who teaches about publishing, the mechanics of editing. And he's been teaching for a couple of years in, the, in our program, and he's just been recently got a job as a senior editor for Simon & Schuster. Mm, so great. we're very lucky that he wanted to stay, because I thought the oh. day that happened, I was very happy for him, but I thought, okay, you, you're going to be really busy now. Um, but he expressed an interest and, in fact, is teaching this semester, mm-hmm. and we're going to have this wonderful workshop that he'll also give an addition to his class called How to Write a Book Proposal, because that was one of his first complaints that we talked about is, you know, students don't know how to write a book proposal, so well, writers don't know. That's what I was going to ask you, what yeah. sort of practical advice well, and support the students get in, within the program that's, that's um, either required or it's an option. So we've always had, so both Yadon Israel and David Groff, who's also a, a, he's a fine poet, but he's also a a literary agent Mm. and uh, editor. And so they have always taught in consecutive semesters a kind of publishing course. So we're we're very much aware that publishing is in New York. We might not be part of the kind of literary establishment network, which I know if you go to some private programs, you know, it's all about connections Mm. and people will say that. But we have a lot of people who care about what's being published in the world and diversity in publishing. It's what we care about as well. So we definitely try to bring in the kinds of, you know, faculty that are addressing those issues and with the ones that I mentioned. And and all our faculty actually really, I think, help students and try to place students, you know, and use their own contacts. But, But more importantly, just make them aware of, what the issues are and how to put their work out. So we know we're at a disadvantage compared to maybe smaller schools with larger endowments and budgets and ability to bring more famous writers, but we do what we can. We we bring in some tremendous writers and many writers are very happy to come. I mean, we've had 
you know, Paul Muldoon has been here and forfeited his fee because we were City College. Right. And that is always very moving. You know, writers are happy to come to, to, to us. And, and then also we're so lucky to be connected to other CUNY writers. So we had right. recently, a couple of years ago, Tayyimba Jess, uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning poet, mm-hmm. come and speak to our students. And that was an incredible event because he does such an amazing performance mm-hmm. talking about that book, Olio. Mm-hmm. So we have access, because we're in New York, to just incredible CUNY writers, but also people who live in New York and are, are happy to take the two, sure. three uptown or, yeah. you know, the uh, sea the or the train uptown. <laughs> right. and, all and the trains. All the trains. Every, everyone, but every the, train stops in Harlem. you have a lot Harlem. going for you, I mean, in terms of the location and, and everything, but you have a very illustrious history, too. You have great alumni who Abs- have come out of this program so I think people really do know of this um, which I think one of your alumni Walter Mosley called the blue collar Harvard right which was in I think I the read title that in the, yeah it was the, the title of the piece yeah so Walter Mosley um, Oscar Hijuelos and then incredible writers who taught here Grace Paley Frederick Tutton Lindsay Abrams, Audrey Lord, and Adrian Rich taught in the SEEK program. We have a lot of writers that have been affiliated with City. Upton Sinclair yeah, was it's here. Amazing. I mean, it, it, it does go back. It has a real history. William Matthews, Marilyn Hacker. Yeah, I could go on and on. We have a huge uh, plaque and list of names. Yeah, and, I don't um, think you have to twist people's arms too hard yeah. to share their experiences and expertise. But your leadership, your your directorship, mm-hmm. is um, has been since twenty sixteen. Yes. And what's your history at CUNY? What what's your trajectory? Tell us a little bit about your own writing and teaching. Okay, so um, I started as an adjunct teaching poetry because my mentor was Lindsay Abrams, and uh, I studied with her in my MFA program at Sarah Lawrence College. Fast forward many, many years of adjuncting all over the city. I called Lindsay, and um, she was able to uh, uh, hire me to teach a class in the English department. And I did that for a number of years, and then a position opened up. I had just gotten my first book of poems published. A lecturer position opened up. uh, Actually, two lecturer positions opened up in the English department to teach in the MFA program and to teach creative writing to undergrads. So you know that's like even applying was like winning the lottery yep. because it, it was <laughs> was you know it's so crazy. I mean, basically to get a job teaching poetry in New York is everyone's dream. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this is many years ago now. So I applied and and I got the job, um, and I have been there at City ever since. Um, I think that's over like fourteen years now. Okay. I don't I don't remember exactly the date. And I'm very happy to be teaching at City College. I'm an immigrant from India via the Middle East. My family lived in the Middle East for many years in Kuwait. And so we are a campus full of immigrants. And I immediately felt at home. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important for students to see someone like me in the classroom. I think it really makes a difference. I want to say, you know, particularly for women, uh, young women of color, but I would say also, I would say everyone, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I can relate to their experience immigrating. I immigrated as a 
child uh, to this country, to their hardships, to what it means to to their class. You know, uh, I went to a large public school and, you know, I'll be very honest, I really didn't dream of becoming a college teacher, a college lecturer, because uh, no one in my family had done that. So everything is amazing. You know, every everything that, that has happened to me in my life, but particularly at City, has been like grace. Mm. I, I just feel so happy. And so I think that's what I bring to running the program, like a lot of gratitude. Like I feel really lucky to be here and to be working I know English departments are notorious, <laughs> um, but I have to say that I, um, the, the MFA faculty, uh, we're very, very close, and it's a little bit of a love fest, and, mm. and I've even had guest writers joke about it. I mean, we really care about each other. We really look out for each other. We help each other, even though I'm the director and we don't have a huge staff at all. My colleagues really help me with the admissions and the reading of applications and running the program, for mm -hmm. sure. You know, I, I depend on them uh, for everything because we don't have a lot of funding. So my experience at, at City College has been, I hate to use the word, it's not used a lot in academia, mm -hmm. uh, magical. Oh, you then know. use it, please. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it has been. And, and I have a lot of faith that creating a program that's as vibrant and interesting as I think ours is becoming and maybe has become. I mean, the reason we have those numbers is clearly because students are talking about it. We, we can only afford one ad a year uh, in Poets and Writers, so we're not doing that much publicity, and we just got our social media off the ground. I think we just opened an Instagram account, but but other than that, we it's not we don't have the time. We haven't been doing too much outreach, so definitely it's coming from word of mouth. We're not perfect. There are things we can improve. We know that, um, so we're we're trying to work on that. But I think within those of us who run the program, the grad assistant, the office staff in the English department is amazing. They put up with me freaking out before <laughs> registration every year and, you know, before the classes go live. I think that atmosphere and energy is, is very warm right. and people like, uh, can feel it, you right. know, and they can feel that everyone is rooting for them. We're also very flexible. Uh, we have a lot of credits. We're a 42 credit program. So that's going to take you five semesters to get through, which is a little bit unusual and a little bit more. But it really works for our students. Oh, the other thing I wanted to go back to was often our students are, are working full time. I would say 95 percent of our students work. Mm -hmm. So, for example, all our courses start in the evening. Mm -hmm. We have two sets of times, you know, in the evening. And we try to accommodate those kinds of students. But also life happens, right. work happens, work situations happen. So students have to take time off. So there's a great deal of flexibility. We're not pushing you through. In fact, I try to slow them down. They're in New York. They are probably have a life in New York. I understand. I recognize that. And the more they stretch that time out, the more they're part of a vibrant literary community. Right. It's hard once you're on your own as a writer. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to work a lot harder to keep a community. So you encourage them to s slow down rather than some programs which require students to do things in a more intense 
get in and get out kind of way. Absolutely. I mean, I think we have a real recognition of who our students are and what their lives are like. And that flexibility is has worked for us, actually. The student who wants to get, get in and out very quickly, well, they're just another kind of writer, you know, right. and maybe another program they would you know, be suited for another program. I mean, I'll say that we don't have that many students who want to do more than, for example, a full-time load, I consider three courses. Occasionally, I'll get a request for more. But that student is usually wanting to leave the state. <laughs> so, you know, before we were online, the only way you have to, you know, you'd have to come to campus. So maybe there are some other reasons. But in general, in fact, I've heard we, we have a, uh, we invite alum, newly published alum to come back and we'll do this again once we're in person, and there's a panel at the end of the spring semester. And what I've heard on that panel from some of our alum is that, oh, I wish I had taken more time and I had stretched the program out. Mm. Because also you then apply what you're learning to your own work, and you're also in the world, and then you, you know, it becomes like a laboratory. You can right. test it. And in an ideal world, you would just be in the program forever. <laughs> that's what, I mean, listen, those students I try to kick out. <laughs> I try to encourage them. I wouldn't say kick out. I was like, okay, time to graduate. No, you can't take an eighth workshop. I mean, we're flexible, but we, we do move them through. But I don't think it's actually been a problem. It's mm -hmm. not It's not like we have an issue, and I think people finish up in, in you know, due course and mm -hmm. are happy. They're ready to go when it's they... It's like good yeah. parenting. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I guess we're a bit of and a And in terms of publicity, it doesn't sound like you need more than the one ad a year because the word of mouth is working so well. Your attitude and the happiness and the good health of the department definitely trickle down to the students and their level of happiness and yeah. satisfaction. But because you had so many applicants and so many acceptances, you really don't want more people banging at the door at this point. No, we don't. No, we don't. So what I'm really trying to negotiate with any administrator that will listen to me <laughs> is that we need more programmatic support, definitely funding, maybe a couple of lines. It would be great to have a, another fiction, nonfiction line and a poetry line. We haven't had a hire in, um, in creative writing in, in about 10 years. Mm. So we're, def we're in need. So until those needs, I mean, we have amazing guest faculty and we, you know, they're contemporary writers, that we can get from, from the city that are wonderful. But we definitely have programmatic needs that we need to attend to mm -hmm. just to accommodate the cohort that we have. Mm -hmm. So, for example, because I know it's going to, I mean, we're, we're doing it, we're managing, but because I know it's going to be a problem in the future if we keep increasing, I've cut the spring admissions. We mm -hmm. used to have two admissions, period. So I'm very interested now in stabilizing. And if we are given more programmatic and other kinds of funding, then maybe we could increase. But this is a lot. I mean, right. and this was a surprise. So it wasn't what we expected. We definitely are getting – now we're, we're going to have to actually – if the number of applications stay the same – It'll be more competitive. It'll me right. be more difficult to get into the program. And that could be a good thing. And um, I hope it doesn't get to where 
it's so difficult to get into the program that you don't get the writer that you know just needs to be in that environment right. to improve. They're they're not a star already when they're applying. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's another thing I'm interested to know. What do you look for in an? Well, we take everything into consideration. Mostly when we're reading applications, we're looking for that ability, uh, the creative ability. We're looking at potential, not necessarily perfection. We definitely get students from private colleges. We get students from public universities. You know, I think we know our student body, those of us on the team that reviews applications. And we, we look at a whole bunch of things. We want that student to feel comfortable. We also know we can take some more risks. You know, we have we can take someone who maybe doesn't have the, the writing isn't perfect, but they have other qualities or they have a background that is really interesting. You know, they've been a, a juggler in a circus. Actually, we have. Wow. <laughs> Our grad assistant has just finished his book on juggling that's oh, wow. been picked up uh, by uh, Stuart Sinclair. Oh. Uh, he's, his book has just been picked up by a press. You know, we, we like the strange and mm -hmm. kind of not the direct route, you know, to literary publishing right. kind of student. If you've taken 10 years off to be a chef in Laos mm -hmm. or Thailand, that's wonderful. And yeah. you'll have a lot to write about. Yeah. So if you don't, if your writing isn't up to it, but you have a real wealth of other kinds of experiences, and we're it, open to that. And, yeah. it's, and it's great for obviously the writing community to for, for them to uh, share absolutely. their different life experiences with each other. Yeah. I mean, for example, we had a student who was slightly older. She had put her kids through college and she decided, I'm going to get my MFA. She was such a fabulous writer. Her short story won. Um, we have in the spring an awards ceremony. It won the biggest prize within our program. So you know, that's what I love about the program. What's exceptional and who the exceptional writer is isn't, you know, a conventional kind of student. Mm -hmm. And our program con is, I think it's pretty consistent in celebrating that mm -hmm. kind of work. Right. It's full of surprises. Full of surprises. <laughs> that's <laughs> <Always>. wonderful. <laughs> I'm interested to know what are, as a teacher of creative mm -hmm. writing, what are the challenges? What do you find the most stressful or heartbreaking or? I know exactly what it is. Okay. I mean, for me personally, yeah. and my colleagues could be incredibly, you know, feel very different on this and, and disagree with me. Um, I wish we didn't give grades. That's what I find the most challenging in the graduate program. I'll talk about undergraduates in a little bit because that's a very different situation. It's very difficult for someone who's a student of writing in that student phase to be evaluated. And I feel that you're making art. How do you evaluate it anyway, right? We're just so used to the paper chase and to the grades. And I was very lucky. I went to a program that didn't give grades, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't think you need it in an arts program. I think written evaluations, I think a little you know, paragraph write-up, and I don't, I don't understand why we can't do it because the MFA is a terminal degree. I mean, you can go and get a PhD nowadays of, cre of creative writing, but it's not going to be based on your MFA grades, I don't think. Mm -hmm. You know, most students go straight into that kind of a program. Mm -hmm. And I would love to take that pressure off the students. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I teach a course. Um, I'm teaching it this semester called The Conversation Between Poetry and the Visual. 
So I, I'm dealing with artists, primarily visual artists, but also students can bring in musicians. And one of the points that I make is throughout like literary history all over the world, writers are in conversation with their friends. And if they're in a community in, of the arts, their friends are usually making art of whatever, you know, um, they're painters, they're sculptors, they're musicians, they're composers. And if you look at different literary renaissances, you see that mix. So who are you having a conversation with right now? It's not that you come into a program, you sit in class and you read the texts that are given to you in class and then you're inspired to write. You're probably going to be inspired by the conversation that you are having with the world. And that could be, I'm picking the arts because that's very important to me and that, that's the large part of what I think about every day and the way I look at the world. But it could be with other things, politics, religion, whatever is your passion and interest, you are already having a conversation with that, with that subject. And I've told my students, and it's true for me, over the years I've taught this class, I teach it not every year, so there's big gaps, but I find that some of the best work comes out of this class as opposed to, which is we call the craft or critical practice class, as opposed to a workshop where you're supposed to write the work that you're going to maybe one day put in your thesis and one day it'll go into a larger manuscript for publication because the pressure is off mm. because the what you write in this class isn't something that's going to be say workshopped mm -hmm. or critiqued it's coming out of this process of discussion readings conversations and a in-depth research component during the course of the mm. semester with an artist, living mm -hmm. or dead, and you're gonna carry a conversation with that artist, you're gonna go deep into that work, you're gonna start looking at work. So you take the writer outside of their world, their finite world, and you plant their gaze on the other. They're looking outside, they're, it's already happening, I'm just having the students notice it. And I feel that my students are so inspired by this kind of thinking. So. I mean, this is what I'm plotting down the road. Um, you know, I, I would love to, for example, have, you know, a classical violinist come in and do a kind of apprenticeship with five poets in the program or 10 poets, you know. I wanna think about how we can take the traditional workshop or college class outside the classroom, mm -hmm. outside the box of how we learn creatively. For example, the president of City College, President Boudreaux, has approached uh, the creative writing program to talk about we're establishing a connection through our outdoor club with the Bear Mountain. And they want City College students to come up there. And so we're thinking in the MFA program to do a kind of, you know, to begin with a weekend residency or, mm. or a week-long stay at Bear Mountain and sort of get students outdoors. I did this a few years ago. I applied to the dean at the time and I took, I'd met at a conference, a wonderful poet who didn't seem like a poet at all. <laughs> he, and it turns out that what he did for a living was he was a river guide and he lived in Montana and he took students down the river. And he was amazing, and I went up to him and I said, his name's Chris Dombrowski, and I said, Chris, how can I get five 
at, I was teaching undergraduate at the time, my five under five five or six undergraduate poets to Montana, and he said, "Do it. Find a way. I'll give you a prize. I'll figure out an itinerary. We'll teach them poetry, and we'll take them outside." Wow. And the dean gave me money that year. You it was did it. oh, I did it. And I took five students, four of which had never been west of the Mississippi. Every, I mean, literally, like they were all. There were, it was really diverse, a really diverse group of students. Some of that, some of them hadn't really even ventured that far out of New York, mm-hmm. and none of them <laughs> had been in the wild outdoors of like a Montana, you know, mountain environment. And we went mountain climbing. We went and picked morels. And picking morels, we had to do it on a, a mountain that was burnt, like the previous summer, because that's where morels grow, apparently. Mm-hmm. So that means it's really slick, and you like slide down. Oh my and gosh. and this, this grant completely paid for them to, to just go there. We all live together. Now, it was incredible. It was a lot of work. <laughs> it was very exciting. but. All of a sudden, you know, you take students out of their usual writing context, you put them in another place, and other voices come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm in touch with a few of the students, and, and they've. I, I just feel like their writing changed, mm-hmm. and their lives changed, because mm-hmm. you put that experience in them. You know, one of the things that I feel like you can't make students write about climate or environment until they see themselves connected to it. You have to put them in it so they own it. It's not just what other people do who can afford to do it, right? So I think those kinds of, making those kinds of relationships with writing programs is so important. That's I mean, a great I, idea. Uh, that's, those are the kinds of projects I want to do. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. it's just my interest, but I would like to take it out of the classroom. I'd like to bring, you know, uh, we have an amazing music department. We right. have an incredible theater department. Actually, Rob Barron um, in theater who teaches our dramatic writing, he and I are going to do some collaborations together. There's an incredible arts community at City College, and I would like to really be in dialogue with them and say, you have, you know, graduate students, or even if you don't, like, you know, we had um, Linda Villarosa, who's now the head of one of the CUNY journalism schools. She was a guest on this Oh, yeah. But Linda used to head our program, and I invited Linda, you know, to teach a nonfiction course called The Long Essay because that's what she does. It was fabulous. And one of the writers got their pieces published that semester. I mean, that is the kind of thing that I adore. And Linda was so up for it and we made it work. So I feel like if I can get a little bit out of what a program does and how a creative writing program has to function Mm -hmm. and just loosen some of those strictures I know it's difficult because we you know everything has to be approved all the way up to (laughs) you know but I think that for creative writing and other arts programs to thrive we already think outside the traditional structures so if we had some room in our programming to do that and somehow give credits to students to do those kinds of activities then we'd really you know, we'd really be booming. I mean, yeah. we're booming now, but I'm just saying, you know, we we would really be... A shining star. I think... I think I you think, are a shining oh, star already, well, thank but you. that I mean, would really I, be I, something special. You know, I hear the critique of MFA programs in general. Why should we bother? Blah, blah, blah. You turn out an MFA kind of writer. I think those people who write those blogs or articles haven't read the writing of 
our students, right. I would say we, we do publish a different kind of writer, not a, I don't know what it means, an MFA workshop writer, but I, I guess I, I sort of understand. So I recognize that things are changing, the world is changing, and maybe it doesn't need MFA programs or as many MFA programs, or I, the accusation of we're taking students' money you know, is valid if they're paying a lot of money for that education. I mean, this is why I feel really grateful to be working here because I can really get behind our program. And I know, I mean, it, it does cost money, but it's not going to break the bank mm. in the long run to get an MFA in our program. And the other three MFA programs at, at CUNY, mm -hmm. they're, they're also wonderful right. as well. But even with that kind of advantage, I do think we should think outside the box a little bit. And I think my contemporaries are doing that in the other CUNY programs. Like each has its own specialty. I'm very close to some of the writers and teachers in the Queens program and they focus on translation and the students who go into that program have that in their minds, mm. you know. So everyone's offering something a little bit different. But I do think if we could start to think and had the support, you know, all the way up to the chancellor of a different kind of graduate creative education, mm -hmm. it would be a very exciting moment. And like, okay, here's me thinking really big. So we have all the great art institutions. We have, I mean, I'm very happy to partner with the Harlem Arts mm -hmm. Institutions. We have museums here, we have ballet companies here, we have modern dance companies in Harlem. I mean, we have access to so much. Right. How do we figure out apprenticeship programs or a kind of volunteer giving back but students can get credit towards their degree for right. doing and participating and then writing about it you know these are the kind of opportunities that we should take advantage of because of our location right, right? and it yeah I mean you I don't think you need we could try things. They might they might fail, but then we know, okay, that was a failed experiment. Now let's try. It's the only way to learn. Yeah, mm -hmm. let's try something else. I don't think we need to be so scared right. that we'll, you know, you won't get your credits or your degrees, you know. For example, we do have study abroad programs. Of course, they had to shut down during the, pan uh, the pandemic. They're run out of our, uh, we have a lot of literature requirements in our program, so we work very closely with our MA in Lit program. And they run the study abroad. And because of our requirements and what you can transfer in, it's always a little tricky for our students to go and study in Venice or in Graz or in Berlin at these programs. But I always do as much as I can to make it work because, yes, they should go abroad. They should study at these other graduate programs and we'll figure it out, you know. And mm -hmm. I feel like a little bit more of that kind of energy is important to want to collaborate. So I think collaboration is key to right. growth, but also to be thinking about what do writers need? Mm -hmm. I mean, to come back to our, of course, you don't never want to abandon the workshop or the looking at the text. That's the most important. What do writers need to grow and progress? But also to be mindful that we're writing arts. Mm -hmm. We're not a PhD program. We're a writing program and it's creative for a reason mm -hmm. and so I'm always thinking about that word creative right you know and I think it applies to everything yes. and I think we should bring it into our thinking about curriculum about offerings about who are we going to hire and faculty mm -hmm. I'm very dedicated to bringing voices to teach in our program that mirror who our students 
are, you know. And I, but I've been doing it for such a long time. So when, you know, I know there's a lot of spotlight on diversity, but that's always been a part of what I've done mm -hmm. in the program. Maybe because I'm a woman of color, so mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't have, I don't, I didn't think I was meeting some standard. I really wanted to look for the most innovative writing and writers. And if you go to our website, you can see a list of the writers who've taught in the program, and they're, they're amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think there are many ways to grow, and I think we always have to be on our feet. You can't become complacent. Mm -hmm. The world is right. changing very quickly. Our field is changing very quickly. Publishing is changing so quickly. Self-publishing, the industry is changing. So our students need to be aware and they need to be able to bring that into the classroom or say, hey, I need this. You know, I need this from, uh, from, <clears throat> from a program. Yeah, and everything you're describing, these ideas about how to grow and change the program just seem like a model for the way writers should, mm -hmm. sorry to use that word, but should think about their own work in terms of loosening up and maybe ridding themselves of the expectations they came in with so that they can discover something new about their own capabilities and interests. And so it just seems like it would all fit in so well. Yeah, no, ab and absolutely. And, and also, I think, and this might sound a little contradictory, but I don't necessarily believe that everyone who comes into the MFA program will discover I want to be a writer for the rest of my life. I think they come in because they love literature and they definitely love to write. But maybe they discover, if you have options available, that, oh my God, you know, like what I really love is editing. Or what I really like to do is be on the forefront of organizing a literary journal, you know. Or what I really love to do is, you know, I came in as a fiction writer, but I really love poetry and I love that world. And I want it to be the program, which is where it's completely okay to walk out of the program doing something else. That would be a success. For me, it would. Absolutely. And with because this, with this archives component, too, maybe yeah, someone will discover something archivists, in that Archivists. Absolutely. And that's why I'm not scared of collaborating with anyone. I'm not scared of losing students to literature or, you know, we have a, a wonderful language uh, and ling linguistics program to digital arts. I mean, Go, go. If you find something better, go. I mean, sometimes students feel like I've gotten what I need of the program. I don't really want the MFA and I, I'm, I'm going to leave. You know, I had a student ask me that this summer and I was like, do it. I mean, she's being published. She's mm -hmm. got a manuscript out. Her, she's shopping her manuscript. So you're, you've got what you wanted. Mm -hmm. it, it's not something in hand. It's a process, right? And it's a discovery. And you know when you have gotten what you wanted out of a thing. I think in general we know. Um, so not being tied to a traditional definition of what it means to be successful post-MFA. Right. But in fact, I went to this MFA program. I had a lot of fun. I made a lot of friends. And I discovered that I love to edit or be a literary agent. I've worked with some lit agents who've hired our students, for example. It's such a large world, mm -hmm. right? So you're just, you know, we can be a conduit to all these different aspects, but we have to honor them. We have to honor all those aspects as critical for those of us who do want to maybe just write or just teach or whatever. Mm -hmm. We have to honor all of it because that's the option. You know, I feel like there's no shame. You know, like if I could, ha if I could say that I ran a program where you came in and you discovered what it is you wanted and you happily were able 
to say to us in a couple of years, this is what I'm doing now and I'm so happy. And the MFA program helped me get there, mm -hmm. but it didn't end necessarily end up in a book. That's great. I went to a program where I took painting courses. I studied painting all the time that I was studying poetry and it changed my life because I was in, I wanted to have a studio experience. Mm -hmm. Actually made films before that. Mm -hmm. So I was always working and it was very much administrative and it was, you know, about organizing. And I wanted to be away from that mind, which I know I have, and it's a good mind. And it earned me a lot of, you know, films uh, that I made and I enjoyed that while I did it. But I wanted to be in process, which I think is what happens when you're an artist. But you have to slow down something to be there. Artists write in different ways. Writers have different paths. But that was very, very helpful. I wasn't attached to the art that I made. I didn't care. I was using it. You know, I was just painting to see what would it be like. And literally in a studio, if you, if you study, you know, in a studio, you're on your feet for like three hours. So now you're a writer, right? Like, what does it feel to allow yourself? And I think for many people, it is an MFA program that where they give themselves permission to spend that much time on the page. Mm. Definitely for me it was. I came from a working class immigrant family where you, what? Poetry? You're studying poetry? Mm -hmm. Like that was such a, it was unheard of, right. you know, it Why was are not you something. Your time? Yeah, my parents worked really, really hard mm -hmm. and they wanted me to just have a good job. Mm -hmm. It is very hard, and that's a lot of people. That includes a lot of people in our world, you know, class, immigrants, lots of different reasons. Writing is a privilege, and the literary arts throughout history, look who's been published. It is a upper-class endeavor, yep. and it is the rare, in every culture, in every country, person from a certain class or background, indigenous or of color, that has broken through historically. It's still that today, you know, our literary establishment. It's still that. And so the breakthrough has to come. So I think, I don't know, I always wonder about the people who really complain about MFA programs. And I wonder, like, do you really, who, who's in your program mm -hmm. like that you're complaining about? Because mm -hmm. come over to my program, mm -hmm. because take a look at who has, students in our program are people who are giving themselves the time to slow down their lives and to make what they think and how they write important. Right. And that is not something that people feel entitled to. Right. Not working class people, not immigrants, not refugees. I could go on and on and on. So that's why I feel it's still valuable, critical, important. Mm -hmm. There's a different program for everyone and you have to find the program that's right for you. But that's why I value it. And that's what I got out of it. This sounds like a really wonderful program, and I'm so glad that you're here and oh. doing this. And I wish you the best with your thank you with your <laughs> dreams of growing it. They sound like wonderful ideas. Thank you. Mm -hmm.